Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 12 of the Elevate podcast, the podcast that's out to document and elevate the human experience through conscious conversation. I'm your host, Hayden Humphrey, and I'm incredibly excited to be sharing with you my conversation with Chris Brewer. Chris is a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of OMG Commerce, an e-commerce agency that specializes in world-class Google and Amazon marketing. Chris is an author, frequent speaker, and podcast guest who loves adventure and inspiring others to stretch their limits and expand their horizons. Chris started his career as a professional golfer. He worked on both the club and resort levels, teaching others the game of golf, and also played in minor league golf tours, competing with other elite golfers. After leaving the golf industry, he leveraged the connections he made in those circles to begin his entrepreneurial journey. Chris's mission is to leave a legacy of joyful fun and uninhibited living that's fueled by continuous curiosity. In this episode, Chris and I talk about his experience selling a business and having another business fail, the importance of intention and communication in creating culture, both in your family and in your business, and how to keep the fire in your belly as you get older. As always, thanks so much for being here. It means a lot that you've decided to spend your time with us, and I'm incredibly excited to share this episode with you. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, it is good to be here. Very excited to have you on. How was your weekend? How's your past week been? Well, depending on when you're listening to this recording, will will determine a lot. The weekend was absolutely nuts, insane. I've never experienced anything quite like it since 9-11. How's that for an opening? That is quite... <laughs> That's quite a hook. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, excited to talk more about that. Maybe not excited, but interested to talk more about that, um, given the current state of affairs. Um, but in the intro to this episode, I gave folks a little bit of information about who you are, what you're up to, the, you know, the companies that you founded. But I'd love to hear from you directly. Uh, like, what are you up to? Gosh, today I am up to 10 years of my involvement with a company called OMG Commerce. I'm the co-founder with my business partner, Brett Curry, that everybody should look up him as well. Outstanding marketer, CEO of our company. And right now he and I lead a team along with, I can't leave her out, our outstanding COO, Sarah Edwards, a team of about 30 or so folks where we help people on the Google and Amazon side increase the sales of their e-commerce products and elevate their brand. So that's what I'm doing currently. Mm, that's awesome. And how about outside of work? Anything that you're up to personally, hobbies, outside ventures? I cannot wait till it warms up a bit. I'm in Southern Missouri and the southern is not real warm right now. So it's it's kind of, we're having a dreary gray March at the time of this recording. And this was my first year to spend some time in Florida. My wife and I bought a little place down there on the water, real close to the Gulf of Mexico. And nice. we just loved it down there. 
and I looked and it was 80 degrees today and sunny and it's about 37 rainy and cold here. So I, what I like to do out of work, getting to that, I like to golf. I like to fish. I like to be outside and I really don't like cold weather. So I'm ready for the spring and like most of America right now, I'm ready for it to get really hot. Yeah. Or is the plan to move down to Florida full time eventually? Or uh, I think eventually, but mm-hmm. as long as I'm owning this company and I've got again thirty ish or so people that look to me at some capacity, I'm not the CEO, so I I dodge a lot of bullets, right? <laughs> so, um, but I I'm the I still as an owner want to be around, yeah, and be present. Physically, even though we have remote workers as well, we've got an office in New Jersey with a few folks in that office. And so eventually, I could see myself in Florida full time. But, you know, I'm probably going to keep my Missouri house for a while because once you get into May in mm-hmm. the part of Florida we're in, in the Tampa Bay area, May to September. Mm. It can be it can be Gnarly. hotter than hotter than you want. Yeah, so I think I'm good with the snowbird thing. <laughs> nice and swampy. Yeah, I love that. It's cool having that flexibility too. Um, and I totally feel you on that. I've um, been thinking a lot recently about the even just the way that the weather affects people's moods. And like we, I'm here in Chicago, and in January we had nine hours of sunlight I think they said in January which is crazy and so it feels like it felt like the longest January of all time um so I'm also I'm very glad that it's getting warmer and we can get outside um I think it's definitely definitely necessary um but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the work that you're up to now because I know that this isn't the first company that you've founded um I'd be curious for you like in your path and journey as an entrepreneur like, where did it start for you? How did you get those first inklings of wanting to start a business? Like, where did that all begin? Well, I don't know if you can tell it because on the Zoom, I do have my filter on. So, you know, it's covering up some of the the wrinkles and, and scars of my entrepreneurial career. So I know people are out there thinking, man, this guy's like, you know, upper 20s or so. Uh, <laughs> no, I got the hat on. The gray hair is covered. What hair is left? And I'm I'm 50, so mm. I've I've been around a while. Don't tune out yet, kids. I've got some wisdom to share. So I graduated from college way back in 1993. I actually went into professional golf right after college. So after three universities and six years of my parents helping me out, not knowing what I wanted to do. Does this sound familiar for those of you entrepreneurs out there? I I bounced around. I started playing professional golf because I didn't, that's what I, I realized I woke up one day and go, that was my big goal. And so I wanted to get my big goal out of the way. And so I did that. So I never, you know, today's environment, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but today's environment is very entrepreneurial friendly and, you know, it's cool and sexy to have a startup and maybe you get a unicorn and you know, it's, it's having a side hustle back in, back in my day, it was more, you get your degree, you go find a job and you start your career. 
and and maybe you're more leaning towards a franchise. There wasn't so much, there wasn't any real that I can recall side hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, moonlighting was actually looked on negatively by most jobs. Interesting. And so you you didn't, you know, if you were doing something, you did it pretty secretly, which actually I haven't, I don't know if I've ever shared this story on a podcast before. So please. Um, I I kind of I kind of snuck into being an entrepreneur and I did it kind of below the radar. And that's really what happened. I, I ended up getting a job in sales, doing real estate publishing when I knew I wanted to get out of the golf business. I met my wife. Mm-hmm. And so I was selling real estate ads to real estate professionals in the Orlando area. Mm-hmm. So my day was spent going from office to office and picking up their ads and helping them sell homes, that type of thing. And I, I learned that I did not want to work with real estate people. I'd learned that really early on. And then shortly after that, I had an opportunity based on a networking opportunity I made with a member of a golf club that I worked, saw him in a parking lot. And this is a key point. I was opportunistic in the moment. And really that decision back in 1995-ish changed the rest of my life because Mm -hmm. I saw a member, I was a member, I was a golf professional at a club called Alworth where up until Tiger Woods backed into the infamous fire hydrant was a member there. Mm. And a lot of other uh, folks like uh, Lou Holtz and, you know, I I was able to, to meet people like Arnold Palmer and play golf with people like Michael Jordan. It was a, it was a crazy, crazy time. But I saw a member that I knew owned a company Mm -hmm. and I knew I didn't really like what I was doing. And in that moment, I could have decided, you know, I've got to go in here and pick up this contract or I can go to this member of this affluent golf club that I know owns a business and at least make it say a hello. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, I said hello. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm in sales. And he said, really, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great, but I really don't like the company too much. He said, go talk to my sales manager. We've got an opportunity in Missouri. And because the boss, I guess, referenced me, that got me to Missouri. And I was selling billboard advertising in Branson, Missouri. (laughs) And long story short, because of my sales abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I sold out most of the inventory within a few months of my arrival. Nice. Wasn't that way in the beginning, but it eventually caught up because I paid attention to my pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I was playing golf three or four days a week. I was well over a thousand miles from the home office. As long as I was getting my job done and their billboards are full, it didn't really matter, but I was bored. Yeah. And so I came up with an idea to sell other people's signs with the company's knowledge so they could make a revenue stream on other people's signs. And we did it. And accounting didn't like it because they didn't like the accounting that was involved to pay the bills. And so my manager said, hey, Chris, I don't want to know about it. But if you want to keep doing this, we're paying you what we're going to pay you. Yeah. And so that's how I got into my first entrepreneurial endeavor. I didn't plan on it. Uh, So 
really, I was given permission to have a side hustle. Yeah. And I turned that into a two, $2 million company nice. and ended up selling it. And that was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. I love that. It's uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, a gentleman that I just had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Chris Peterson, um, he was actually telling me a story about how he was involved as a caddy when he was much younger. And because of his work as a caddy, he ended up getting connected to a lot of people in the community that he wouldn't have otherwise had access to, a lot of whom were entrepreneurs and very successful entrepreneurs. And so as a result, he then had an opportunity to say, oh, wow, like this is possible. People live like this. I could do this same exact thing. So the thing I hear in that is just so funny, the, you know, the similarities is um, having access to a different um, type of experience of work that you might not, if you hadn't been involved in golf, specifically, um, you know, might not otherwise have had access to or stumbled into or stumbled upon. Uh, and I definitely agree with you around the how relationship to work is changing and it now being a lot more socially acceptable and almost encouraged to have a side hustle, to start a business, to leave and become an entrepreneur um, and those types of things. And I think especially, you know, with the technological infrastructure that we have now, it's so much easier. I mean, you know, I was looking at, I, I'd like to start an apparel company later this year. And I was looking at the infrastructure for how to do that. And it's so easy to do. It's like, you don't, you don't have to handle any of the inventory. I can outsource literally everything. You know, it's mm -hmm. just about pulling these um, systems and these pieces together. Um, so we definitely agree with that in terms of uh, the shifting landscape of work and career and how cool that is. How many, how many more opportunities there are in that. Yeah, and I would I would tell folks too that you know if you haven't wherever you are you can create the perfect network for what you want to do next. And in my case, I had a father who was a public speaker, a member of the National Speakers Association. He was always very much encouraging and and uh, really a, a great role model. And he told me when I had these these jobs around affluent people, he's like, hey go to their home, sit down, ask them if you can meet with them. And so I took advantage of that. And really, I can pinpoint where my career went as an entrepreneur back mm -hmm. to those earliest exposures to people. And so whether you're uh, a, a caddy or a golf pro, it do, doesn't matter. Or if you're a, a server at a restaurant and you've got a dream or you're, you've got a, a job right now that you don't like, you want to do something different, Whatever you want to do, like for your situation, if you want to have an apparel company, the ability to get FaceTime with influencers in the space is easier than ever. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised how many people don't actually try to make those connections. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of time, those people, they're trying to be sold something. They're trying to, uh, those people are coming with offers or things they want to do. But if you come and say, I'd like to learn more, I've admired this, this, and this about you, could I get 15 minutes of your time to talk about these things? More than often than not, you're going to get those. And mm -hmm. more often than not, those are going to be people who are going to be part of your assist in getting to where you want to go. Absolutely. I, I love that because I, I think the thing about it too is it's a, it's a long game 
it's especially in that sort of networking, like genuine, authentic networking in building that sort of community, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of very consistent effort. And so it has to be something that where, where you understand the long-term value of spending that time with people and reaching out to people and creating those types of connections. And I think I agree with you. I think that's one of the biggest differentiators for people in terms of the success that they experience is who are you surrounded with? You know, because then when you're starting a company and you're trying to take it to that next level, if you're trying to do it by yourself, it's probably going to take you 10x the time versus if you were if you had people around you who had already done it and were able to say, hey, look out for this, look out for that, or, you know, pay attention to this thing, whatever it is. So there's just so much value in having people, you know, around you that have had those experiences before. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Um, one of the experiences, too, that I wanted to to talk to you about because I think it's mm, super common in entrepreneurship and in starting a company. <clears throat> and I think that there's a lot of gold, so to speak, or a lot of lessons and a lot of stuff to learn about it is starting a company that just doesn't end up working out. Um, so I know that the company that you have now, it sounds like you've had for you know a decade. Um, and you, know, you were sharing with me a little bit before and in previous conversations that you had had a company that hadn't worked out the way that you'd hoped it to. So I just wanted to learn a little bit more about like what that was like, what was the company and really at a high level, like what were the lessons or things that you learned from that? Yeah, really good. So I had sold my first company and got all the, the money for it and things were, were going well. And at that time, I was working for a national trade publication in the golf space. And yet, I still wanted to do some, keep something going on the side. And I had a friend of mine say, you know, Chris, if you started the first direct mail magazine in your market that was full color, this is right. The internet was going on, but it wasn't super, you know, super going at that time. And so people were still cutting out physical coupons for restaurants, buy one, get one freeze, whatever. And, you know, this is before Groupon time. And so I just, I went for that. I started this direct mail magazine called Money Saver. It was extremely successful in, in my market and uh, grew that very quickly to a nearly a seven-figure company as well. I think actually we hit over that, but uh, it was going really well, but I just started to get a little bit disenfranchised with it. I wasn't, I was having that, what I found with myself as an entrepreneur, which I think this is very good advice. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that can start companies on their own ability that they have in a particular area. For me, it was sales and marketing. So I knew sales and marketing. So I was able to take something from nothing and build it up to a certain level. Where I ended up getting friction was once we started scaling, I was not looking beyond myself mm. to for the right people to bring in to help mm. me get to the other level. Mm -hmm. So what I didn't realize at that time is that I was reaching my own glass ceiling. And instead of thinking about how can I punch through that, instead, my mind went to, oh, I'm just a startup guy. So let's sell this and move on. Mm -hmm. So my first company, which I grew to a $2 million company, I got a pretty decent payout. But looking back at what I had back then, that could have been a 10 or a $50 million company had I had the right people on board. Direct mail 
it was a little bit different. I started to see how the internet was coming in and internet coupons were starting to come in and direct people were at that time were starting to think, oh, I'm going to move my money to Facebook or um, and even if they didn't have a clue about how to run Facebook ads, they just started leaving traditional media. Right. Yeah. And so I saw the writing on the wall. Then 2008 hit. I had decided to take a position somewhere else and let someone else buy into my company. Long story short, I sold the company for about a half a million dollars. I probably got about $30,000 in payments. Mm. And that guy went essentially belly up. And I essentially had to decide to take the company back or sue somebody who had a family and two kids and take him for everything he had. Wow. I decided to take the company back. It didn't work out well. My wife was a trooper, came in, worked in the business. We did everything we could. It fell flat. Mm. So essentially what I thought was going to be my potentially early retirement, right? at least a half million in, in payments as that was going to come through, was gone. Mm. Five, five years of building something was was gone. And I learned a lot about myself during that time. I learned about, like we talked at the beginning of the, of the prior to recording, of, about business PTSD, that it's a right. real thing. Right. And I, I also learned uh, a lot more about faith. And I'll say this, whether you're a spiritual person from whatever shades you come from, doesn't really matter. For me, uh, I, I'm a, active in my local church. It's always been a part of me, not maybe as much as it has in, in previous years, but uh, it's always been something pretty important to me. And my, my wife knew that about me. And we're about to go into the courthouse to file some papers. And we were considering bankruptcy at that time. And I was a wreck just a wreck. You can't imagine. And my wife stopped me at the car and she said, you know, are you just a total hypocrite or whatever? Because you've talked all this time about having faith and belief, but right now you're not acting like it. So why don't you actually get some faith and move forward? And it's like (laughs) laying it down. It hit me right between the eyes. And that was, and that, again, whether it's your wife or somebody else, you need people in your lives to mm-hmm. just throw cold water at you right. and be able to, to receive that information. And really, that was the tipping point for us. Um, she was goal-driven. There was a beautiful white house on a hill on 25 acres with a spring-fed creek. And this is, this is like 09. So this is like bad times. Mm-hmm. She had put this as a photo on her iPad that she carried around. And I, I didn't like that. Now here's a guy that put (laughs) golf, golf goals and PGA goals on my, on my uh, wall as I was growing up. This is what I'm going to do. I was goal driven, but in this funk I was in, it drove me crazy that she wanted this dream house when here we are in this economic crisis. Mm -hmm. Well, because I flipped the switch and I got on board. I'm in the basement of that house today. 
Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's so cool. And, and, um, and th- there's a great story about all that as well, which we won't have time for, but that is the, the, the difference that I think when you, when you have crisis that really it's, it's a matter of, you can always go one or two, two ways. You can go to the dark side, whatever that is for you, or you can mm. take the, the path of, of light and faith and hope and, and follow that path. And I would say that nine times out of 10, uh, even the folks that it doesn't mean every time you take the right path, that it's going to lead to right. uh, success. But here we are 10 years later and, and I now have um, as much equity in this business, even more than I had when I lost mm-hmm. that other other business. And here we are now in the midst of another crisis, depending yeah. on the time you're, you're listening. We're in the midst of the coronavirus crisis and Fed rates are zero and nobody knows what's happening soon, but we know it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm. Yet you can take two paths. You can take the path of, of hunkering down in the darkness or hunkering down in positivity Right. while waiting for things to to work themselves out um and so right. you know not, not much else to say there other than when you go through adversity you can't do it alone and you've got to be able to have the people who can share with you yeah the blind, the blind spots that you have personally and then work together to navigate those rough waters yeah so agreed I had a an executive at a company that I used to work for share this quote about faith and fear. And he said that faith and fear are two sides of the same coin. It's just a belief in the unseen and in the not yet happened. And so you actually get to actively decide, you know, do I want to put my energy into, you know, thinking about what's the worst case scenario or do I want to think about best case scenario? Um, and the other thing that came up for me when you were talking about choosing in the face of circumstances. I like to talk with people about this idea of commitments versus circumstances and where you choose to make decisions from. And ultimately, when we're choosing in line with our commitments, nine times out of 10, it's likely to work out, even if it's not super comfortable in the meantime, or it doesn't go the way that you think that it will. And when we choose from circumstances, it tends to keep us stuck in the same place. And I think it's the exact same thing with you know everything that's happening right now with the coronavirus is, are you choosing to make decisions from what you're committed to? throughout this, however long this lasts and what's on the other side, or is it making decisions and behaving from circumstances or fear or panic or whatever's happening in the moment? Um, the thing that I wanted to ask you about with this idea of business PTSD, I, I can totally relate to that and totally understand that experience. And I'd be curious for you, like as you've gotten further and further away from when it happened, like what have been the things that you've taken on to actively like heal that PTSD or shift your mindset away from, you know, whatever scars were left or whatever happened to you? Like, how have you actually gone through that process of, um, you know, redeveloping and reinventing around that? Yeah. This one's for Brett Curry. He would probably say, I still need therapy. Um, so, <laughs> and, and I would like to say too, that when I use the term PTSD, I'm sensitive to the fact that we're talking about business and not military. Mm-hmm. And that 
I, I honor the commitments of the people and that, that the PTSD that those brave men and women experiences is nothing compared. So I want to make sure I make that, that point. Business PTSD is just simply when you have something that rips away something that you thought you were going to have, that um, when you've got bill collectors calling and you can't pay, when you know that you can't make payroll, those are things that can scar you very yeah. much. Mm -hmm. And so my experience was one of for, I would say for years after this happened, the phone would simply ring. And if I didn't know who it was, I would get tightness in my chest. Wow. Because I was, it, it was a, it was a, a response in my body to try and prepare myself for something negative right? rather than anticipating something positive and worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And uh, thankfully that is pretty much gone away, but I think you have to be aware of the kinds of things that happen to you when you have a failure and you've got to be willing to talk openly about that. And also from, in my case, my business partner knows that um, I have, I still to this day, and this is probably the therapy part, I still to this day have trouble looking at financials mm. um, because if, if the financials show anything negative or headed in the wrong direction, uh, I just don't deal with that really well. Right. And so well, the way we've worked it out is Brett's the CEO of our company. I've got a fabulous COO. They stay on top of our finances every day. I get a monthly executive summary mm -hmm. of our finances. So I'm responsible and staying in touch with what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I just think you you have to, every everybody is different. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely, the, the worst thing you can do when you go through failure in business is to not talk about it mm -hmm. and to not share what you're going through. Um, and and, and, I, and again, be, be open to the fact that there's going to be some of that that always sticks with you. Um, those that have had childhood situations, uh, those are kind of things that always stick with you. And you have to be, for those that live healthy lives from dealing with, with trauma and things like that as a child, it's, it's knowing who you are and um, avoiding maybe who you used to be in mm -hmm. your mind. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a good description or not about that topic, but that yeah. was my experience. Yeah, thanks. Well, I think the thing that I really want to highlight that you said is the importance of talking about it and not actively holding on to it. Because I think whether it's business or whether it's like anything that's happened to you that has been traumatic, um, the healing that needs to happen takes place in the vulnerability of sharing it. Like it takes place in the light, so to speak. And I realized in my own case, you know, the shame that I had around certain things or the guilt that I had around certain things, it, what it ended up doing was holding in place 
the stories that got created as a result of the trauma, many of which were really disempowered. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, or I'm not smart enough, or people aren't going to love me if I don't achieve, or whatever it might be. Because I was holding on to the shame and the guilt, and because I wasn't talking about it, it held those stories in place. And those stories ended up running a lot of my life and making decisions for me and guiding the way that I behaved. And so as I started to share those stories, which was hard, it's hard to be vulnerable, it's hard to share your insecurities, but the more that you do that, the more that I did that, the more that I found that the stories that those were holding up just lost all their power. And I actually got a chance to look at it and say, do I want that to be how I relate to myself? Do I want to relate to myself as somebody who's disempowered or unlovable or not smart enough or whatever it is? Uh, and then I got to practice choosing something else, almost like I was replacing that story or reinventing the way that I related to that thing. No, that's that's very good. And I think to, to do all of this at a level that will help you overcome you have to have know what your personal values are mm. what your even your own personal commitments are your personal character you've got to line those out just like a lot of entrepreneurs you know they're they're single uh, teams or maybe one or two people and yet you've got to create your own company culture and know what those things are and push for those so that that culture can grow as as you grow around it. And that's one of the most things that I, I'm most proud of with our team is, is our outstanding work culture that we have. Uh, we just finished, like I said, celebrating our 10 year anniversary last Saturday with a nice dinner and we did videos of all of our team. And one of the things that people talked about most often was this is a company where the people, the people are such a great part of the company and our culture and, and how we fight for that. And so, because it's once you can have a culture that you're willing to fight for, then it's not that hard on the executives to keep that going because mm -hmm. everyone keeps the momentum for you. Yeah, everyone's bought into the same mission and I would imagine wants to do their part in continuing the culture because it's engaging and it's fun and it allows people to show up authentically. And um, I'm just really grateful and glad. And I want to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing in that arena, because I think it takes a lot of um, awareness. And I think it also takes a lot of courage because I imagine that there are probably things that financially or strategically or logistically would be easier to go without in terms of culture or how you create the company and how you you know, create the business. And I think, yeah, it just takes a level of awareness and um, intention. So I just want to uh, express gratitude in that. Cause I think the world needs more of that, like actually making work more human, and like more, um, of an open space for people to be able to come and share who they are and also get work done at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and, and even in companies with great culture, it doesn't mean you're going to, you're not going to have adversity or people aren't going to be let go. But what happens is when those things happen, there's more of an understanding for the reasons involved that don't lead to negative water cooler, destructive talk more. We love that person. We're sorry what happened. It's mm. sad that they didn't defend our culture values or for whatever mm. reason. Mm -hmm. And we, and we move on yeah. and um, continue to try and defend those things. Love that. Honoring people where they are. Um, the piece that I wanted to ask you about too, I know that you have kids, correct? Uh, older kids, older my kids. 
my daughter, uh, Sivana, is 22 in Nashville in sales, and my son, Brooks, is 19, and he is a pizza delivery guy until he goes to school in the fall. Nice. Awesome. So I'd be curious for you as an entrepreneur, as someone who's building these businesses and as someone who has kids who are a bit older now, like what was that experience like going through you know, the ups and downs of starting businesses, selling businesses, having businesses that didn't work out uh, with a family at the same time? Well, you can't build things without hard, roll up your sleeve work. It, you know, the, the, the easy work from home, even today, we see that on webinars and everything else, like quick, fast, easy. I know that sells. I'm a marketer. I know that sells. But it requires hard work. It requires sacrifice. And I remember when I was, I say when I was coaching three teams, I was the regional sales rec representative for Turnstile Publishing Company. I was traveling at that time, uh, I think 110 days out of the, the year, that one particular year. I was also... Uh, running my direct mail magazine on the side. And I also had started a little uh, custom carpet company, which we won't even talk about. I lost 30 grand. That that ended quickly. But um, I remember my, my, my wife calling me when I was on the road and she said, Brooks is riding his bike. And I was like, Oh, I wasn't there. And that's not to put guilt trips on anybody that's got to travel and be on the road. I mean, we're all going to miss something that our kids do. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have gone to the grocery store and he started right. riding his bike, you know, but <laughs> what it said to me was I, I always wanted to make sure that no matter how hard I worked or how many hours I worked, that my kids would have um, a level of, of family and love and, and knowledge of time. I I was fortunate enough. My wife stayed home with the kids. Um, but no matter what your personal situation is, I love to work and I love to get things done. And so I think we have to give ourselves grace sometimes as entrepreneurs Mm. that we, you know, family, I believe definitely has to come first. But you can't provide for your family if your business isn't thriving. Mm-hmm. And so being able to communicate to your spouse, especially that in times where you know it's going to require immense demands of your time, the worst thing that you can do is just go into that and then let your family react to it. The best thing you can do is say, hey, Jen, for me, my wife's Jenny, hey, Jen, the next Two months are heavy travel for me. It's a time where everybody re-ups their contracts. I'm going to have to be on the road a lot. I want to let you know that in advance. Let me know what I can do to support you during that time. Mm -hmm. But I just want to let you know this is the way it's going to be. And if you do that, rather than, oh, you're gone all the time and wait, you're traveling again. Um, Whatever that is, even if it's for you and you got to hunker in your basement and figure out your Amazon products or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't just disappear on your family. Right. Communicate. And I would say even communicate to your kids. This is what dad's doing. This is what I'm doing to provide for you. 
and and then create opportunities for rewards out of that. So when you come out of that, reward your family with a weekend. Take your kid out for for pizza or whatever and let them know, hey, I appreciate your patience with me over the last week while I've been buried. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure we can spend some time because here's the good things that happened as a result of that. Nice. So um, one of the things that I've had to do as a, uh, I wouldn't even call it a workaholic. I would just call it, you know, I'm I'm not a workaholic because it's not it's not been detrimental to my family. Mm-hmm. I, I would just say that um, what I've had to do is, and Russell Brunson one time had this great video on how he had to finally communicate to his family that when I'm on vacation, don't if I'm reading a book on marketing, I'm not working. I'm yeah. doing what I love. <laughs> if if and, and so for me, when I was on my laptop on a Christmas break or something, I'm checking into something, it's because I enjoy it. It's not feel mm-hmm. like I, I'm I'm driven by it. Well, I am driven by it, but it's not something I'm addicted to. Right. And so um, do I like to get out and play golf? Sure. Do I like to go fishing? Sure. But I'm also okay with just hanging out and doing some work because it feels it that's fulfilling for me. And not everybody is wired that way. And not everyone is going to understand it and they don't have to. I don't understand why my wife likes to ride horses. I mean, <laughs> you know, I yeah. don't have to understand that, but I can appreciate that's right. what she enjoys doing. Totally. I I love that. The There's like a level of communication and partnership. Like we're, this isn't me going to do this. This is us going to do this. And even, you know, in going out and sharing that, um, sharing why you're at intentionally with your kids and including them. I think that's, that's really, that's really, really awesome. Um, and it's funny when you were talking about loving to work, I was like, yep, I know exactly what that's like because <laughs> I'm in the, I am very, very similar. And I think what I've realized recently around that and the thing that I'm really grateful for is I think that I've started to shift away from a relationship with work that was in some ways unhealthy, feeling forced to do things or like I needed to do this because something bad was going to happen. Like almost like what we talked about earlier, being driven by a fear of what was going to happen versus what I'm realizing now is when I sit down to work, I actually really look forward to it and I love doing it. And I, you know, sometimes I'll find myself later in the evening when, you know, I'm technically supposed to have, you know, turn off my computer or whatever it is. And I'm in the middle of something and I'm like, I don't really want to stop because I really like creating this thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I find pleasure in it. Um, and so, you know, I'm just going to, continue to, to create in that sense. And so I think so much of it is about finding what's that healthy balance, um, and making sure that, uh, you know, you're setting boundaries that are appropriate for yourself and, you know, the people in your life, like your family. Yeah. About 15 years ago, I think it's probably about 15 years ago, Tony Robbins came out with a time management course called the time of your life. Mm. And the thing I can remember best from it was just separating those things that have urgency versus what's actually important. Yeah. And, you know, the example that we still see today, you know, you're checking out at your hotel, you're standing there right in front of somebody, the phone rings, and they answer it. You're there present as a human being. And the seemingly urgent sound of the phone ringing takes that person away from you. Right. And that's, that's just one example, because it can be with work-life balance as well. The, the, the urgent feeling is being at a, a ball game where you're supposed to be present at your kid's ball game. You're there, 
but you're not there physically because every time a notification goes off on your phone, you're looking down. And, and one of the things that I know I could have done better as a dad, when my, when my son was, was younger is pay attention to the signals he's giving me when I'm looking at Mm -hmm. my phone and he is there physically with me one-to-one Right. that, um, those are times when the kids know what's more important, the phone or me right now. Right. And, and so that's where, um, you know, it, what I tell my staff when I go on vacation, when I really want to take time away is if it's not burning, bleeding or dying, I don't want to know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The, um, the piece that we had talked about a little bit before we started recording and, um, you know, in previous conversations was the loving to work and also the stuff that you're up to outside of work, like the personal, um, like the fishing and the golfing and the love that you have for those things as well. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you too, because one thing that I've realized in myself as an entrepreneur and as a business owner is the more that I start to do this introspective work, the more that I start to almost in a sense, like in some ways return back to who I was when I was younger and some of the joy that I had there and the play and the, you know, wanting to experience novel things and looking at how do I now start to build that into my experience of life? Like whether it's directly in my business or creating my business in a way that allows me to go out and do those more adventurous, fun things. So I would just be curious for you, like as you've learned more about what it means to start a business and running successful businesses, like what have you noticed in terms of uh, how you structure your business, how you relate to your, uh, you know, personal hobbies and how you relate to just like relaxation and enjoying yourself more generally? That's really great. You know, one of the things that I really like about the millennial generation is they are very purposeful about doing the things that are going to bring them joy right then. I think I would say, I don't know that they always do it financially responsible, (laughs) but it's what I admire that they're living that way now. However, one of the things that I think that, that that generation needs to be aware of, and many of them now are getting families and they're becoming more aware of that, is as you, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a family. It could be a new career. It could be a new relationship, whatever that is. But for me, it was having a family that when I was younger, I was big into scuba diving, even adventure scuba diving, going into caves, which I don't recommend. And um, I, I dove with sharks. I, I rode a bull in a rodeo one time for a TV nice. show, nice. like um, injured myself really badly, by the way. And so I, I had all this like adventurous spirit. My brother tells a story when we were vacation with my parents one time when I was a teenager and I saw this rock outcropping and I, and I went and previewed it first, but they had danger signs all over this fence. Well, I just sprinted for the fence and jumped over it and screamed like I'd falling to my death. Well, I knew there was a ledge below there, but I still jumped the fence. I couldn't yeah. have lost my phone. Like yeah. I would do crazy stuff like yeah. that. As I grew a family and you get into work, that stuff just fades. It, right. it fades a bit and your priorities change a bit. And so what I would encourage people to do is uh, make sure that as your responsibilities increase, you don't lose touch with the fire 
that you used to have in, in your belly for mm. uh, adventure or life or whatever the things that you love. Because I would argue that the more that fire dampens inside you, the more potential you have to be, to not be the parent you need to be, to not yeah. be the spouse or the friend uh, that you need to be. And, and it is a creep syndrome. And so it can creep for on you for years until you realize that I don't have the friends that I used to have. And friends will change as you get into family structure, but I don't have those same things. And so for me, what's happened recently with buying this, this Florida house and my kids getting older, um, just the environment, not being in Missouri in the winter and inside a house, I'm out on the kayak. I'm on the golf course. I'm still getting work done. I'm actually highly productive. Um, I'm, I'm going out 20 miles into the Gulf of Mexico where nice. I don't have a phone signal. And it just like created this awakening in me like, wow, this, I am living again. Mm. And, and I, I think about, wow, that's 20 years where, yeah, I've had some great trips and amazing things, but just being in touch with a, a trip is one thing, having something that just awakens your spirit. And I would say that since then, um, that's how I want to continue to, to, to live. Yeah. And, um, so I would just say that be mindful of your, of the joys and passions you have, and do not let those get completely muted. Um, bring in your family to those joys, whether they like them or not, at least introduce them to them. I love that. The piece that you mentioned around, you know, as your responsibilities increase, you know, don't lose touch with that fire that you have, the passion that you have, because um, it can happen really slowly over over time where you get into a place where you realize like, oh, I haven't been doing the things that really bring me joy and that really light me up and that I really love doing. Um, and, you know, I think I, I don't have kids myself, but I can imagine as a parent, a huge part of that is role modeling who you want your kids to be. And I think it's so interesting because I think kids are so smart and pick up on things that, you know, it's even outside of the words that you say or, you know, how you talk to them. It's who you're being as a person, what your priorities are, what your values are you know those are the things that they pick up on um so it's how do you role model that in a way that um allows them to see the beauty and the joy and the life that's inside of doing the things that you're passionate about living a you know well-balanced um life in that sense and i think you know from from what i've experienced i <laughs> have just like my ability to experience joy and connection and intimacy and the richness, just like the richness of living life and what it means to be here has expanded exponentially as I've started my own business. Cause I start to realize, well, one, you know, you, you, you can't kid yourself as a business owner, either it's working or it's not. So it's kind of a call forward into being introspective and becoming more self-aware, you know, in second, I now get to set up my schedule and my business in a way that actually supports me in having the experience of life that I want to have. So whether that's, you know, not working Fridays or only working so many hours or being able to be remote when I work um, and, and those sorts of things. So I feel like almost starting a business has allowed me to express more of myself out in the world um, and continue to get in touch with, you know, the fire in the belly, so to speak. 100% well said. Thanks. Cool. Well, Chris, uh, uh, to wrap up the show, there's a couple pieces that um, I'll ask you for. So one is, where can people find you? 
The easiest would be my hashtag that I've used for years, which is Mo Marketer. So Mo like Missouri, M-O, Marketer. If they just put in that hashtag, they'll find my Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and all of that. I do have a personal website, which is Mm chrisbrewer.co. And that's got some information on my speaking and some of the things that I do outside of my, my company. Those are the two best places. You know, our website's omgcommerce.com. People can find us through there because if you put in a request, I'm your biz dev guy. I'm the first person that's going to see it. And, and I would also say, I am more than happy to take 10, 15, 30 minutes with any of your listeners that have a challenge or a problem or something that they feel like really stuck with them, mm. more than happy to set some time and, and, and spend with them. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely put all those links in the show notes to the episode so folks can find you. Um, the second thing is what is a piece of wisdom that you would leave folks with to help them elevate themselves, their communities, and the world? I'll start with something somewhat funny. One of the things that I've always uh, liked, I don't remember where this quote from, but it it is, everyone is somebody else's weirdo. <laughs> And I think, I think that's really important. It's funny, but if you've got any inhibitions, anything that uh, self-doubt, uh, things that you don't like about your appearance, your personal habits, whatever, just keep in mind that, um, and also for those of you that think you are the smartest person in the room and you're that beautiful person, for somebody, you're a complete weirdo. So. I think I just think prospectively that's the first thing. And the second thing I would mm. say, and, and I this is something I try diligently, and I I fail at this, and then I pick it up, and that is to be fully present, mm. be fully present in your in your daily lives, um, and that not only includes the people that you work with, it doesn't. It also includes your family, but I would say it includes the person that's working at the convenience store, mm-hmm. the server at your restaurant acknowledge those people who are doing the things that you're not one of the best examples i saw my dad give as i was growing up is if we had a server that did a really good job he would take out the receipt he would write a handwritten note about their smile about their personality about what they did that made their dining experience great nice and my dad tells a story of a this has happened a couple of times He's forgotten that he's gone back to a restaurant six, seven, eight years later that he had a server follow him out to the parking lot one time and show him a laminated copy of a receipt he had written and said, I just want you to know I look at this every day. Thank you so much. Wow. That's so cool. It just speaks to putting love out in the world and showing people that you care. I think that's so incredibly important. Um, and to your first point too, speaking as a fellow weirdo, I think life is uh, a whole lot more fun as a weirdo. So I'm like all for it. There you go. I love it. Cool. Well, Chris, I like to end the show with uh, acknowledgements. So are you open to me acknowledging you? I'm good with it. Awesome. There's a lot of stuff that I want to acknowledge you for. Um, first and foremost, thank you 
so much for being an incredible example of what it means to be a heart-centered leader. And everything that you've shared in your family, in your business, in the things that have gone the way that you've wanted them to or not gone the way that you wanted them to, I get that the common thread is that you're leading from the heart which I think is incredibly important because I don't think it's that common. So thanks for being courageous and brave enough to lead from a heart-centered space. Um, I can just imagine the impact that you have had and will continue to have on the people that work for you and your company, the family members of yours, your family, the people that are listening to this, you know, myself included. Um, thanks for your authenticity. Um, a big part of this show is normalizing vulnerability and authenticity for really successful and uh, inspiring entrepreneurs. Because I think an important part of what it does is uh, it allows people to see themselves in you. And just like, you know, we were talking about earlier with the, the golf getting connected to different opportunities or realizing you could do something else. Um, that's really my intention for these conversations. And I think what people will get from your shares. So thanks for your authenticity. Thanks for being super super intentional everywhere. Like I get that everything that you're up to, you've thought about why you want to do it and who you want to be in doing it, both in how you communicate with your family and how you've created the culture of the, of the company that you now have. Um, thanks for your reflectiveness and awareness. It's also super cool to be able to hear about the things that you've learned from what's worked and what hasn't and how you continue to look for the next level of your own leadership and your own professional and personal development. Um, and the last thing that I really just want to acknowledge you for is like, thanks for living life and really getting clear on the importance of bringing the fire that you have in your belly into everything that you're up to. Um, thanks for your joy and your play and your adventurousness. Um, and thanks for being an example of being able to do both of those things, like actually starting a business, having a family, and at the same time, being able to play and experience the richness of um, everything that we're here to experience. So thanks so much for being on the show. It was, a, it was an absolute pleasure. Well, Hayden, right back at you. The, you're, you do a fine job in this podcast and you're an ideal host for what you're doing. Um, this experience with, with uh, pre-interview on your show, coming on board has been nothing but professional and top-notch. And I know this is going to be outstanding for no matter who uh, comes across this podcast. And so I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. I thank you for all of those great things. And I know you guys are going to do tremendous as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this show and want to stay up to date on new episodes or other special offers, I'd invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if there's ever anything I can do to support you, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. See you next time.